Earlier this month in Colorado Springs, police shot and killed a young black teenager named Devon Bailey. He was shot in the back three times as he ran away from police. The bullets tore up his spine, his heart, his lungs, his spleen, his diaphragm. He had a 0% chance of survival. And if this shooting had happened in 2014 or 2015, you'd probably know his name by now. But Trump has sucked the wind out of the entire news cycle. Well, today I'm going to talk about these two relevant Supreme Court cases that police are using to defend acts of violence like this. And I want us to have a very difficult conversation about guns, about police, and how we keep ourselves and our kids safe from both of them. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The Breakdown. The Breakdown. On the afternoon of Saturday, August the 3rd, I was in Kansas City, and I was about to speak at a banquet for a brilliant organization there that helps women transition back into society after incarceration. The organization is called the Help KC, and I love them. They do great work. And before I spoke, I got a chance to have some barbecue. I was in Kansas City after all, and then I got to visit a place that I've always wanted to see. It was the Negro League Baseball Museum. I just loved it. And at the exact same time when I was at the museum, a young man in Colorado Springs called 911, and he said that he had just been robbed at gunpoint. He said he knew the two teenagers who did it, that they walked up on him, knocked him down, pulled a gun on him, and took his wallet. According to his 911 call, after he was robbed, he walked into a random nursing home nearby to call the police. I just want to play you a short clip from the call just to give you some context of what was happening. Here we go. Colorado Springs 911. What's the location of the emergency? Hi, I was calling. I'm up Hutchison and Fountain at the, what's the name of it? Karen's Gardens. Karen's Gardens. I was walking down the street and some men just confronted me with a gun and they fought me and tried to take my belongings. Just minutes later, police were dispatched to the location of the robbery right after this 911 call was made. And driving all through the neighborhood, they found two young black teenagers, Devon Bailey and his cousin Lawrence. And the police stopped them, and the police got out of their car and confronted them. Devon and his cousin Lawrence put their hands up, answered some basic questions from the police. But within seconds, Devon panics and runs for it. Now, the day after the shooting, and for several straight days, police said something publicly that was damning. And that's the power of being able to set the narrative first. And I saw this happen in real time. Police said the day of the shooting, the next day, and for several days, they said that when Devon ran, that he reached for a gun. And that Sergeant Allen Vantlin and Officer Blake Evanson fired eight shots, striking Devon repeatedly in the back in direct response to him reaching for a gun. Now, I want to play the audio of the police confronting the teenagers, of Devon running, than of the shooting. And I'd much rather you hear it than see it because it's a truly awful thing to see. I just want to play the audio so you understand how quick the entire confrontation was. Here we go. 
Put your hands up for me a sec. Put your hands up. Right. So we got a report of two people, similar descriptions, possibly having a gun, all right? So don't reach for your waist. We're going to just check and make sure that you don't have a weapon, all right? Hands up! Hands up! Hands up! Get your hands up! Get your hands up! Get your hands up! Get out of the ground! Get down on the ground! That audio is from body camera footage that was released a full two weeks after the shooting. It just came out about a week ago. And I've studied the body camera footage and I've watched it, I don't know, maybe a hundred times. And it's part of what I do, not just for this podcast, but just in my study of police brutality and, and gun violence in America. And what I want to do is break down for you what I see in that video what I don't see, and what I think all of it means. Let me break it down for you. Break it down. Now, I found nearly a dozen different articles where police clearly say that Devon Bailey reached for a gun and then they shot him. I can say today with absolute certainty that that never happened. In fact, after the police shot Devon, you can hear them say over and over again, does he have a gun? Can you find a gun? Where is a gun? They're asking themselves if he had a gun. They didn't know. But I can say for sure, and I have watched it, I have slowed it down, I've sped it up, I've zoomed in, I've zoomed out, I looked at neighborhood security cameras. I can say for sure that Devon never touched a gun, never reached for a gun, certainly never pulled one out, it never happened. When the police began searching Devon, who was literally bleeding to death there on the concrete, they literally had to cut his pants off, and then they did find a gun. He had a gun. And what we know in this country is that being black with a gun in any type of confrontation with police, even if they've just pulled you over, as police did Philando Castile, even if you just have a gun near you and are black and in a confrontation with police, you are in grave danger. Now, as we've seen in case after case, when a white supremacist shoots up a church or a Walmart or a movie theater and slaughters dozens of people and is heavily armed, sometimes with assault rifles, somehow those white men always get taken in alive and normally don't have a scratch on their body. But Devon Bailey is dead. Police shot to kill him. Now, that's how they're trained. A lot of kids listen to this podcast and a lot of parents and teachers listen to this podcast. And for a few moments, I want to have a painful conversation about what it means to be black and be confronted by police. First, before I say any of it, let me say that Devon Bailey should be alive right now. He did not deserve to die. And I have to always regularly fight back against this narrative of the perfect black victim, where we only give sympathy or we only give our advocacy to people who check every single box when the most horrible atrocious white men in America survive encounters with police every single day. All of that is true. 
But I also need to tell you something that I learned all the way back in 2003. It was from a mentor of mine when I worked at this place called the Holistic Stress Control Institute. It was probably one of the most important jobs I ever had. I was just a few years out of college at Morehouse. And the Holistic Stress Control Institute at that time was nearly 20 years old. It was formed by a brilliant black woman named Jenny Trotter after the Atlanta child murders, which took place in the early 80s, where dozens of children all over Atlanta were killed by what many people think was a serial killer. And children all over Atlanta and their families were incredibly stressed out. And Jenny uh, developed this organization in the early 80s to help children, black children and families and communities deal with the stress that they were facing. And uh, when I started working for that organization 20 years later in 2003, there was a wise sage of a man there named Nadim Ali. And we traveled to jails and prisons all over Georgia as special teachers. And Nadim taught me something that he called mind movies. And I've never forgotten it. And I've taught it to other people and I use it. Hell, I, th- I probably use it every day. What Nadim says is that when we find ourselves in the worst possible moments, say being confronted by police, say being confronted by police when we have a gun, what Nadim taught me and what he taught people all over Georgia was that in those moments, in the most pressure-packed, high-intensity moments, we are unable to think clearly. And studies have shown over and over and over again that when black folk, and it doesn't matter if you are a Fortune 500 CEO or just an everyday person, when black folk are pulled over by police, blood pressure shoots through the roof. Breathing patterns get abnormal. Sometimes you even stop breathing. Flashes and images of being framed or killed by the police come through our minds, and all of a sudden, it makes it very, very hard to think clearly. And this might just be you were pulled over for speeding, but all of a sudden, find yourself on the brink of having a panic attack. And what Nadim taught me and what he taught thousands of people is that we should play movies in our mind where we rehearse what we'll do in every possible scenario, not just with police, but all through our lives, where we rehearse scenarios in our minds over and over and over again so that when that scenario happens in real life, you don't really have to think it through so much because you've already thought it through. You just have to act out what you've already rehearsed. And so when police pull you over in a car, rehearse in your mind what you're going to do. Rehearse in your mind that you are not going to speed off. Rehearse in your mind, and this is a part of the talk that we give, rehearse in your mind literally putting your hands outside of the window so that the police officer can see them. Rehearse in your mind the tone of voice. Rehearse in your mind how you'll respond if they are bigoted or racist or aggressive. Rehearse it in your mind before you have the encounter. When police confront you and you've been pulled over, you know, you have to have already have in your mind 
the thought of what you're going to do. Because here's the thing. If you speed off, you will have committed a series of new crimes. You will not get away. This is not fast and furious. And it could very well end in your death or in the deaths of other people who are regularly killed all over the country when they are hit by police cars or cars being chased by police. It happens almost every day. When police confront you and you are out of your car, just like they did in this case with Devon, do not run. Let me say it again. Don't run. Do not run, ever. If you're in a neighborhood, if you're on the block, if you're on the corner, if you're at a store, if police confront you, whatever you do, do not run. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how well you know the community. I don't care how afraid you are of the consequences of staying in that moment. Do not run. Because let me tell you, let me tell you about mind movies. The police have already played this movie in their mind where they confront you. They've already played that mind movie, not dozens, not even hundreds, but they've played that mind movie thousands of times. They've rehearsed it. They've trained for it. They've rehearsed this mind movie probably more than any mind movie you've ever considered. And if you run, armed or unarmed, it doesn't matter. If you did nothing wrong, but if you run, having committed a crime or not, it is highly likely that these officers are going to shoot and kill you. It's not right. It's not okay. I'm not defending it. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'm telling you, they have played this mind movie and they already know how they'll act if you run. Ever since I met Nadim nearly 20 years ago, I've already played over so many different scenarios in my mind. So that if I find myself in an emergency, I can rely on what I've already rehearsed. Now, this isn't me saying that Devon Bailey deserved to be shot. Hell no, never that. But I want you to please go back and listen to episodes 12, 13, and 14 of the breakdown of this podcast. And if you happen to be listening to this uh, on Instagram, I upload the entire episodes there. You should go to your favorite podcast app so you can see the podcast numbers and listen to episodes 12, 13, and 14, where I unpack the two Supreme Court cases Tennessee versus Garner and Graham versus Connor that deal directly with police violence. They are three, those episodes, 12, 13, and 14, are three of the most important episodes that we've ever had. And when Tennessee versus Garner was first decided, it was widely hailed as a victory for civil rights leaders because the, the decision is beautiful. I, I love 99.5% of the decision. And it humanizes, particularly black lives, over and over and over again. And the decision literally says that police are not allowed to shoot someone who runs from them, even if they're armed, 
even if they just committed a crime. It literally says even if they just committed murder. It could be anything. The law says that police cannot and should not shoot someone just to apprehend them. But as I break down in episodes 12, 13, and 14, there in Tennessee versus Garner, it also has one word. It says, accept. You can't do any of this. You can't shoot anybody who's fleeing, even if you suspect them of a crime. And then it says, accept when the officer fears for their safety or that of the community. I call that a poison pill because we can never really prove what the officer was thinking or feeling in any moment. And here's the thing. If someone is suspected of a crime, the law, Tennessee versus Garner says, you're not allowed to just shoot them. But officers are using the fact that they suspect them of a crime for their justification of shooting them. And what we see here is that police academies are teaching police to always be afraid, to always assume that someone is going to harm you. But in real life, how that really works out is that police appear to always fear black men, but they just don't seem to have that corresponding fear with white men, no matter how dangerous or deadly they truly are. And when we launched the Action Pack, and if you don't know what the Action Pack is, you don't know about our work, please go now to the Action Pack. That's theactionpac.com. Because when we launched it, we said that we were looking for a case to actually challenge and overturn the worst parts of Tennessee versus Garner. And I don't know, but to me, this type of case, the, the police murder of Devon Bailey, might be worth using for that type of challenge. Because Devon Bailey faced judge, jury, and executioner on August the 3rd. He got the death penalty. He deserved due process. He deserved a day in court. He deserved a chance to be able to make his case. But the way things are stacked up right now, those things apply to some people a hell of a lot more than they do others. Thank you all for making it all the way through this episode of The Breakdown. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, we'll be right back here every single weekday, breaking down important news stories and issues. And we'd love for you to subscribe on your favorite podcast apps like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please share this podcast with your friends and family. Because our next big goal is to get to 100,000 subscribers. And listen, we don't just want 100,000 subscribers because we like that number. We exist not just to change the news. We exist to change the world. Thank you so much to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star, whose generosity even makes this podcast possible. We love and appreciate each of you so very much. And if you love this podcast and you want to support our work, or you want to see the show notes and transcripts for each episode, we'd love it if you'd consider becoming a founding member of our community. And you can do that right now at thenorthstar.com. There, we not only have all of our podcasts, but hundreds of original articles and stories and commentaries from some of the leading scholars and thinkers and journalists in the world. Lastly, a shout out to our associate producer, Lissandra, and our podcasting director and senior producer, Willis. Also to Jeff, to Keisha, to Richard, and the entire team, for their hard work on this and every episode. Take care, everybody.